The 2023 legislative session is underway, and Capital News Illinois has a growing team to bring it all to you. We'll talk about that on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. The 2023 legislative session is about to get into full swing of the State House. But before we get into all that, a couple of important announcements. This year also marks the beginning of Capital News Illinois' fifth year of operation. And as many of you may have heard, we're in the process of expanding our news team and our reach across the state's media landscape. So today we'd like to introduce you to our new and growing team. Here with us, as usual, is our State House Bureau Chief, Jerry Nowicki. Hey, Peter. And also with us is our investigative reporter based out of the Metro East region, Beth Hunsdorfer. Hey, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. And with us is our newest reporter and a voice that should sound familiar to many listeners, veteran Statehouse reporter Hannah Meisel, who comes to us most recently from NPR Illinois. Hannah, welcome aboard. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. And finally, our 2023 intern from the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield, Nika Schoonover. Nika, welcome. Hi, Peter. Thank you. Okay. Well, Hannah, first of all, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit? I mentioned you came here from NPR Illinois, but you have uh, some other experience. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Um, I've been covering Illinois government and politics for a little over nine years, I started uh, where Nika was actually uh, as an intern through the public affairs reporting program for the 2014 legislative session at NPR Illinois, although at the time it was only known as WUIS, I was pre-rebranding. And then since then, I've had a variety of jobs covering Illinois government and politics and have been back based at the state house for probably seven years, but all that time with an eye on Springfield. I'll say too, Hannah, we're, we're happy to have you here. This started out as an idea a couple months back and we just sort of had the ongoing conversations to bring you here and expand our team. And we look forward to what you can bring to it. Oh, thank you. You know, I have watched CNI since its inception and I've just been really impressed with the way that the team has grown and the outlet has matured. This is only the fifth year of operation for CNI, but CNI has, especially in the last couple of years, really established itself as a powerhouse. And so I feel very lucky to be joining this really smart and hardworking team. Okay. And we're glad to have you. Uh, Nika, you are not a native of Illinois, but you've been here for a little while. Why don't you tell us where you came from and how you landed up at the PAR program at UIS? Yeah, definitely. So I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, but I came to Chicago to get my undergrad degree at DePaul University. And I was also the editor for the newspaper there, um, which was a really great experience and helped me grow as a journalist. But I just, I fell in love with Illinois government and politics and heard about UIS's public affairs reporting program. But yeah, I'm really excited to be here. And it's been, you know, really fun uh, for these first couple of weeks getting to be on the CNI team. Nika's done some good stories uh, already for us. She's interviewed the Secretary of State. She covered the governor's inauguration. And we're, we're very excited for what she's going to bring to us for the next six months. Well, and I did want to ask Nika about that. We just 
came through an election, and for the first time in about a quarter century, Illinois has a new Secretary of State. And Nika, you interviewed the new Secretary, Alexei Janulius. What did you walk away with? What kind of a Secretary do you think he'll be? I think the most significant thing I walked away with after that interview was just the role of the Secretary of State's office. He talked a lot about asking Dan Brady to serve on his transition team and how you know valuable his insight was. Dan Brady was his Republican opponent in the election. Yes, yes, he was. Uh, and he chaired the um, organ and tissue donation team on the transition team. Yeah, and then he just he emphasized, you know, wanting to, modernize the office and really embrace technology in how they make the office more accessible. So yeah, it was a really good conversation. And it was a great story. And people who are interested, you can find that story at capitalnewsillinois.com. Uh, Hannah, I want to get back to you. Uh, before this session got started, we went through what's called a lame duck session before the new members were sworn in. They did some significant legislation in just a matter of days, including a statewide ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. You and I have both written about that. Talk a little bit about where we are in the process with that. It's almost hard to keep track of how many different lawsuits there are now challenging that. Where are we with that? Yes, I believe that there are four state lawsuits that we're following and several federal lawsuits uh, those can, of course, go further. You know, any of those could be the one, uh, at least gun rights advocates are hoping it would provide them with, you know, major bragging rights, among other things, that one of their lawsuits would be the one that could go all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Of course, that could take uh, a while, but the case last year that the U.S. Supreme Court ruled on in the New York concealed carry uh, handgun licensing case, you know, that had you know, a major impact because that was the first ruling the 6-3 uh, conservative majority court uh, had ruled on. And of course, the first major Second Amendment case the court had taken up in about a decade. And so definitely gun rights advocates here are hoping that um, Illinois, the ninth state to implement uh, some sort of assault weapons ban, you know, that will be the case that uh, makes it all the way up the legal hierarchy and that the court would ultimately um, grant an even more permissive interpretation of the Second Amendment. So far, uh, on the state level, like I said, these these cases are they're more headline press pop cases, but some will feel that they're important too when it comes to um, you know codifying legal interpretation. Certainly, if these do make it to the Illinois Supreme Court. You know, the Illinois Supreme Court has the chance to, uh, you know, make their mark on their interpretation of uh, the Second Amendment uh, within the confines of Illinois. But Tom DeVore, the failed Republican Attorney General candidate from last year, uh, he has filed now two cases, one in Effingham County, one in White County, and the case in Effingham County uh, pretty quickly garnered uh, the judge's um, affirmative ruling on what they'd asked for for a temporary restraining order. Of course, uh, just like a lot of these, uh, you know, state cases, it doesn't matter all that much because the temporary restraining order is on a law that, yes, does have an immediate effective date. However, the, the major thing in there that uh, prevents, you know, folks from having any more assault weapons uh, in, you know, within their possession, that doesn't take 
hold until January 1st of 2024, because, you know, this entire year, people do have the opportunity and certainly they have the incentive uh, to stock up on those guns because they will be grandfathered in uh, starting next year. Of course, they'll have to register. Uh, but we uh, have also heard uh, from, you know, sheriffs in 80 plus counties who say that they don't want to take part in uh, enforcing the assault weapons bans. They don't want to have to go house to house to check whether people uh, have registered their assault weapons. But oh, by the way, there is nothing in the law that says that they have to. So that's more kind of political grandstanding. Yeah, I think the issue is that if a crime is committed using one of those weapons and it turns out not to be registered, then that person can face some enhanced penalties. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. And, you know, it's penalty on top of penalty uh, because, you know, the first gun that you uh, didn't register, that's a misdemeanor, but the second is a felony. And then, you know, of course, if you do commit a crime, that's uh, like I said, penalties on top of penalties. If someone was caught committing a crime with an assault weapon, they would have to face those enhanced charges uh, because it wouldn't be up to the sheriffs at that point. It would be up to state's attorneys who, you know, have to follow the letter of the law. Although, you know, we've seen some norms breaking down uh, in those relationships too, but we can get back to that at another time. Okay, so we've got lawsuits moving along two tracks. We have them in state circuit courts, primarily in Southern or downstate Illinois. And we've got a pair of federal lawsuits in the Southern District of Illinois. So make their way through the process. We'll be staying on top of that as much as we can. Meanwhile, I want to turn over to Beth Hunsdorfer uh, because there's a lot more that goes on in state government than just legislation. And you have been part of a team that has been looking into the state's mental health residential facilities, particularly one in Southern Illinois. Beth, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, what is going on at that hospital? There seems to be a lot of, I don't want to say scandal, but maybe that is the right word. Uh, what's going on at the Choate Hospital? Well, I think the Department of Human Services has a crisis on their hands, at least as far as Choate is concerned. We've seen a lot of cases of just out and out abuse and a systemic effort to cover up the investigations into that abuse to avoid consequences. We've found out that there were more than 20 employees that were charged with felonies related to misconduct at the facility. And the governor has already put out his warning that they have to fix it or close it. And um, I, I think it's really a tragedy that the families of the people who live there are, are kind of forced to exchange safety and security of their loved ones for care. One of the things I find really interesting about it is that a lot of other states have sort of moved away from that model of care, this inpatient residential facility uh, where people basically spend you know, the rest of their lives in the care of the state. Uh, but Illinois hasn't quite made that move yet. Have you heard any talk about maybe shifting to a different model of care for these people? I think there is sort of a um, a fallacy that's out there that these are the people who require the most care, at least on the DD side. I think that there are people who would do well to be placed in community settings. 
but I'm not sure the infrastructure is there. Sometimes the ability to get the level of care that's needed and the beds that are available don't match up. And we are talking about around 200 people that are on the DD side down at showed. So you can imagine if you're a parent caring for someone at home that is developmentally disabled, the ability to get on a list and get into one of these homes is, I mean, it's incredible. As far as uh, what legislation we might see upcoming this session, there was something being pushed by the uh, Office of Inspector General at DHS that you've reported on recently. The OIG has asked to be able to place healthcare workers that have to be reported on to the healthcare registry if they materially obstruct an investigation into abuse or neglect. In the case that we saw back in 2014 of Blaine Reichert, it was just a terrible set of abuse where a guy refused to pull up his pants at the breakfast table and was basically beaten down and didn't get any medical attention for two days. There were people who were working on that shift who conspired, got their story straight, and obstructed the investigation. And the OIG said, hey, I'm not able to report these guys to the healthcare registry because they don't meet their criteria. So those people could go on, those men who were charged and convicted of obstruction, they can go to work in a nursing home. They might be able to obtain a waiver and go to work in a nursing home or a veteran's home or anywhere where people require care. You have also been working as part of a team on this. Uh, Can you talk about uh, the team coverage? Who else is involved in that project? Molly Parker is my reporting partner. She works for Lee Enterprises Midwest, their investigative bureau. She is also a ProPublica fellow, so we've been fortunate to have. And Jerry brings the editing power from our side, as well as editors from Lee Midwest and ProPublica. Okay, great. Well, we're going to look forward to hearing a lot more about that. Uh, Finally, Jerry, let's turn to you. The 2023 session uh, has started, but hasn't really gotten into full swing. In a couple of weeks, we're expecting the governor to give his budget address and state of the state address. What are we expecting to come out of this session? I think it's going to be a little bit uh, slower paced. I think a lot of some of the more maybe controversial or bigger name measures uh, for this year actually passed in the lame duck session. The governor, of course, uh, had proposed expanding free college in Illinois and uh, wants child care for all, basically, I think are some of the things he said in his inaugural speech. So one of the things I'm certainly going to watch is whether state revenues, which have produced a multi-billion dollar surplus over the past couple of years, continue to perform that way and what level of budgeting flexibility uh, that gives lawmakers to maybe implement Pritzker's plans or focus on other other spending measures uh, this year. And that was really kind of the focus of his campaign was touting the fact that he uh, has improved the state's financial condition. Uh, he put money away in the uh, rainy day fund. But at the same time, uh, we've been seeing some troubling economic signals on the horizon. How prepared do you think the state is to weather a recession if, in fact, one should come around? It's a good question. And in terms of Illinois, it's as prepared as it has been in in decades because the rainy day fund budget stabilization fund balance is now about $1.9 billion. There's going to be more going into that. So, you know, it's in worse shape than 
basically most of the other states, if not all of the other states, for handling something like that. But it's in certainly way better shape than it was eight, ten years ago. Certainly five, six years ago when they began pass. So the budget prognosticators are saying, you know, the December revenues may be depicting a little bit of a slowdown, or it may just be one month blip on the radar. So no one really knows how the economy is going to go, but as the U.S. economy goes, so does Illinois. So we're just going to have to wait and see. Okay. Well, that will have to do it for this edition of Capital Cast. We'd like to thank everybody who is here, Nika Schoonover, Beth Hunsdorfer, Anna Meisel, and Jerry Nowicki. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with significant funding from the Robert McCormick Foundation. Until next time,